you're here today. I'm going to do something a little unusual just for a second this morning. How many of you guys listen to Spotify on your phone? Okay, have you been hearing the messages and stuff out of one ear or one side? Okay, I'm going to give you a little heads up if you have a second. Pull your device out if you have it with you that you listen on. Oh, I got a message from Judy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, and open Spotify, and I'll show you real quickly. If you can find a settings button on your on your Spotify, you click that. And I'm I'm doing this on the recording so that people who are listening to this can do this as well. And if you scroll down three quarters of the way or so, there will be a setting that says, uh, "Let's see, mono audio." And if you find that and turn that on in the description, it says makes the left and right speakers play the same audio. And I tried it yesterday. I got in my car and lo and behold, it came out of all the speakers. So that will help you. I know because sometimes the recording is not very loud. Um, so just to give you that little tidbit of information. Yeah, that's, that's my Android, but I did it on my... Uh, my laptop as well so I'm hoping it's a Spotify setting and not a Android or Apple it's not, it's not on yours I'm sorry um, so anyway um, if you're able to find something like that I figured if I just set it to you you'd be sitting there thinking wow I wonder if I can do that right now um, so anyway I give you wanted to give you the opportunity to to go ahead and do that um, if you're able to find a setting. So we're going to, yes? No, just, just Spotify. So, so if you want to share it with somebody and you don't have, or they don't have Spotify, you can put it on a text message, a link to it, and send it to them, and then they will be able to, to listen. Uh, but they'll only be able to, I think, listen to that one. Excuse me? Anchor, okay, yes. Okay, so if you need, if you have any questions about Apple, talk to Larry because he said he just found it on his iPhone. So, there you go, under playback on an Apple, and then you'll find mono audio, and you turn that on, and you are able to then listen to it. So, let's go ahead and we'll we'll pray, and uh, we'll get into this week's message. Lord, I thank you, uh, Father, again, for the day that you've given us. I thank you for the instruction of your word. And I thank you again that it is what equips us to do every good work. Uh, Father, I pray that you help us to do that today. Help us to be equipped, Lord, to do the work that you are going, that you already know about for this week, that you are going to allow us to enter into and be obedient to. I thank you for this particular passage specifically. Um, and I, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to encourage one another with the word as well. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we jump into um, the passage in 2 Corinthians 7, there were a couple comments on last week's discussion that were made. Um, and I had made references to a couple passages of Scripture that I couldn't remember where they were. So I went home and I researched 
a little bit, and I found them. There was one passage that was mentioned, um, Lord, about uh, about people who were idle and disruptive, and how we should avoid them within the body of believers. And so, in Second Thessalonians chapter three, um, Paul's writing to Thessalonica, uh, pertaining to those that kind of thing, and it's not to specifically bring with the intention of bringing shame, but it's with the intention of bringing repentance. Um, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15, he says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. I still hear pages turning, so I'm going to wait just for a second. Sorry, I jumped ahead of you guys. This is 2 Thessalonians 3, and we're starting in verse 6. I'll read it again. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example we were not idle when we were with you, nor did it, we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you um, to imitate for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Boy, if we applied that today, how many hungry people would there be? <laughs> you know, um, the government just wants to give you a handout. Um, God's word says we need to earn what we're going to eat. And that doesn't necessarily mean uh, to go out and work seven days a week to acquire for ourselves. This is, again, within the body of believers. This is coming together and serving one another um, and giving to those who have needs. So verse 11, continuing on, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. That's, that's the key right there. Never tire of doing what is good. Verse 14 says, Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the first verse of that chapter, Paul starts out by by saying, follow my example as I follow Christ. And uh, the as I follow Christ puts Paul in the position that if he stops following Christ, he's going to describe in Galatians 1, we're going to look at as well, that if he starts teaching anything other than what has already been taught, what he has taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, stop. Don't, don't follow me then if you see a conflict between what he is teaching and what they already know about the Old Testament Scripture and about the coming Messiah. 
But if we look at verse 2, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to this tradition, the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So he's, he's commending them for holding to the truth that he has already taught them. So if we go back to 2 Corinthians 7, our original text that we were working on last week, did anybody um, come up with some examples in the scripture of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? Wayne's got his hand up. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, that's a good one. I forget where that's at. I but <clears throat> where is it? Um, I believe Mark 10 was the one I was thinking of. So let's go there. Bless you. So Mark 10, starting in verse 17. This is Mark's account. Um, and Mark mentions some things, uh, one particular thing that we'll talk about in a minute, that uh, I, th I think Matthew says it a little differently, but Mark is a little clearer for us to understand. Starting in verse 17, he says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is what Mark says. Mark writes that Jesus responds by saying, why do you call me good? So last week there was a question that was brought up and that question was, um, can a good person, or can a person do good and go to heaven without a knowledge of God? I don't know if you remember that question or not, but that was brought up. And this is a good answer to that question. Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandment. So what does that say about all the good deeds that I do? I think it's Isaiah that says all of our righteous things are as filthy rags. Is that, and maybe I'm off on that um, a little bit too, but um, there is a passage that says that. And uh, so everything that I do, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians that everything that, that I've done in my life, I consider rubbish. Um, and so Jesus is saying, you know, no one is good. But he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declares, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. Come follow me. Remember those words. Because the same invitation is given. You said Peter. The same inv invitation is given to Peter. And we're going to look at that in a few minutes. This man's face fell in verse 22. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so what was this man's problem? Pride, okay. So at every sin, the pride, is, pride is always an element. So greed, and then there's also another one. Excuse me? Okay, wealth, but what does the wealth produce? Because when Jesus said it's difficult for a rich man to enter, <laughs> trust, yes. This man's trust is in his own ability and his own possessions to the point that he has a difficult time saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to let go of this and I'm going to trust you. So it's important that the way Jesus words this, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And if he doesn't stop there, then come follow me. So if the man did what Jesus said first and just gave the money to the poor to gain treasure in heaven and didn't follow Jesus, salvation is incomplete. There is no salvation there. So you said Peter. Let's go to Matthew 26. The other example of worldly sorrow that I was going to go to was Judas. So I'm glad you mentioned, you know, one of the disciples right off the bat. And we know the story of Judas. Judas was sorrowful for what he did when he turned Jesus over to uh, the, the, uh, the soldiers but he was not repentant. He still wasn't going to put his trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord. And so the end result, according to Acts 1.15 through 18, I think it is, the end result was Peter describes that um, Judas did not go to heaven. He went to his own place. That's how it's described, which is uh, uh, interpreted from Hades. It, the interpretation is Hades. So... Um, Matthew 26, 69 is where we're going to start. And it says, now, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And so I'm going to stop right there real quickly. And if you, if you go to John and read John's account, this servant girl is basically the keeper of the gate between the outer courts and where John went in because John was allowed to go in with Jesus into uh, the inner, I forget what it's called, but anyway, in the presence of the, the high priest. And according to John's description, John came back to the, to the servant girl at the gate and said, he's with me, let him in. And so as he was going in, that's how John describes um, how this, this event played out. So verse 71, it says, Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. So what kind of accent did he have? Galilean. Mark and Luke say, he, you're from Galilee. I can tell by the way you talk. You know, so they, they know him. So Peter, 
uh, verse 74, began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Let's go to Mark 16. We're going to take you through the steps of events that happened after this. Mark chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. Um, this, is a, this is when Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome, they go to the tomb. Um, they, they meet the angel in the white robe sitting on the right side. In verse 6, they're told, don't be alarmed. He said, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as I told you. So there's evidences here that like Paul, Paul was chosen before the foundation of the world to bring the gospel message to the, the Gentiles. And these are the evidences that are leading up to Jesus calling Peter to carry the message of the of the gospel to the Jews. Peter is chosen to do that. And so then if we go to John 21, or I'm sorry, John chapter 20, and we read the first 10 verses. This is what happens when Peter is told <laughs> what the women saw early on the first day of the week while it was still dark mary magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance so she came running to simon peter and the other disciples she's telling them all just as the angel told her to do in, in mark they have taken the lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him so peter and the other disciple started for the tomb both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't, did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And so I, I just kind of want to point out here, this is, this, is a, this is a classic picture of Peter's personality. Um, Peter is, is the kind of guy who, who jumps in first and asks questions later. Okay, and we've all met somebody like that. You know, John, he gets there. Of course, he brags because he's a little faster than Peter. You know, I outrun you, but, you know, we're, it wasn't a race. So, <laughs> but he gets there and he looks inside and John is in awe, you know. But Peter gets there and just, boom, just barrels right in. Why does he do that? I know it's part of his personality because when we see, you know, Jesus walking on the water, 
Peter says, if that's really you, call me out there. Peter wants to know Jesus. And then Peter, of course, before this, uh, just three days before, Peter's going, I'll never let you die without them killing me first. You know, and he opens his mouth and he's always got, he's always got something to say and he's always got something to do. Um, so when he gets to the tomb, when Mary came, and I, I, I don't know 100%, but I have to be convinced that she came and said, Peter, they told me specifically to tell you that he's risen. And that has to build excitement or nervousness or, you know, some sort of uh, desire to just know. I have to know. And so running to the tomb, I can't imagine what was going through their mind. But when Peter gets there, John's standing there looking in, and I picture him seeing it from, you know, just 50 feet away or whatever, and John gets there and stops, and, is, and he's just looking, and Peter just poof, barrels right on through, and he goes right in. <clears throat> yeah, it says John that he realized and he believed, but at the same time, he's still got, you know, uh, he's still got this this little bit of question in his mind, like, how can this be? Because it's describing that he still is not putting the scripture together with what he's observing. You know what I'm saying? He's not putting the prophecy in, into his view right there, just yet. <clears throat> right. So he's a little like Thomas. <laughs> and so, and everybody else is the same way. All the other disciples are that way to some degree. But I heard it put kind of like this. If you believe 10%, you know, in a situation like this, you're, you're motivated and convinced to investigate it further and to know. And so, anyway, so he, <clears throat> he goes through this. If we just turn a page to John 21. And, yeah. Go, where we're going? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Right. Worldly sorrow. Yes. It's <clears throat> yeah, and that's that's important, and we're going to get back to that uh, as well in just a minute here. So we're just showing examples of worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. And Peter is our example of godly sorrow that we're using today. Uh, but there are others in the Bible as well. <clears throat> so if we start in verse 15, when they finished eating, this is John 21, <clears throat> Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? <clears throat> yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt <clears throat> because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went to where you wanted 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. He gives the same invitation to Peter as he gives to Judas, as he gives to the rich young ruler, as he, does, as he gives to every person that, that has an understanding of who Jesus is, even if it's by creation alone, Jesus still offers that invitation to every person. What is Peter's response? Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to start in verses 15. We're going to read from verse 15 through 19. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Has he put the Old Testament prophecies together with what he saw at the tomb now? Yes. He understands. And he's obeying because he now has received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has put that in him. Jesus has called him, apostolized him, I guess you could say. So anyway, <clears throat> verse 17, he was one of our number and shared, did I skip some? I did. Uh, yeah, Judas who served as a guide for those uh, who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field, in their language, Akladima, that is, the field of blood. Um, and so Peter goes on to talk about the, the passages that are written in Psalms and the things that were going to transpire. If you just turn another page to Acts chapter 2, I'm not going to read the whole thing because we'll be out of time. Um, uh, starting in verse 14, I'll just read a couple of the verses. And Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And Peter goes on to give the first uh, sermon in the church age. So Peter is called by Jesus. Um, he struggles with he struggles with what Jesus is asking. He's saying, "Lord, you know that I love you. Uh, I don't understand." Jesus is saying, "Equip the believers from now on with the words about Jesus Christ." And Jesus explains to him, you said you were going to die for me. Now you will see what suffering for Christ means, and it will be a joy to do it. It won't be a struggle like you have dealt with for the last three years following me and, and seeing me, uh, Jesus, persecuted and punished and, and beaten and put to death. Now, Peter, you are going to follow in those steps, and you're going to do the same things 
and it's going to bring joy to you because people are going to believe in me and follow me because of your testimony. And so Jesus allows him to see that picture and brings him forward. So we get into, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 now, and we'll just read, starting in verse 10, what Nico just mentioned. Paul is writing, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have this uh, complete confidence in you. So I mentioned last week that they had exemplified repentance, um, a change of mind involving action in accord with God's will. And so the Corinthians' sorrow produced in them an earnest effort to make amends, an eagerness to clear themselves of wrongdoing, indignation against Paul's oppressors, against Paul's opponents, alarm at their own passiveness, okay, and a longing and a concern for Paul and a readiness to see justice done. And all of these qualities that Paul lists here are the same types of qualities that you see in Peter's response to what Jesus calls him to. And so as we walk forward with this, this, um, they have proved that they were innocent by virtue of their repentance. They're not innocent uh, by the standard of the world, but by their, their virtue of repentance, um, they, they become innocent in God's eyes because of that. And so the sin that they're really being pushed, that's, that's hard-pressed against them, is their sin to do the right thing. And so we don't have to turn there, but James 4.17 says, anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to them it is sin. So you see a lot on the news today where somebody in a subway or, you know, in Walmart or, or so anywhere you can see, people will just come up and all of a sudden, they'll st- I, I saw this one particular one where a student, a high school student, comes up behind a teacher who was walking down the hall who had taken away their game during class. 
And this student got so mad, they came up behind his teacher, and bam. And, cl- and there's other students standing around, and they all just. <sighs> yeah, and there's some that are videoing. And you see that, I've seen, you know, that you see this one where the, these two police officers, this was a New York City subway. They're, they're trying to get a hold of this guy. I don't know what he did, but they're trying to apprehend this guy. And people are standing around videoing, there's, it's, and they're girl so the female officer she's got the girl she puts her in handcuffs and this officer's just taking a beating and everybody's screaming well that guy has rights well <laughs> yeah they have the right to remain silent you know you know just it, and so there's there's just so much um you know i and i can't say that i know what i would do in that situation but i hope that something inside of me would say you know what you got to do something Yes, you got to make a stand for what's right. And so, anyway, uh, James warns us that if we know the right we ought to do and we don't do it, it's sin. And so, um, when we get into verse 12 of of 2 Corinthians 7, um, let's see, I lost my spot here. Yeah, mind your own business. Yeah, and I think I think that changes when there's so, when there's a potential for somebody to get injured, yeah, when there's the when there's the possibility of somebody getting hurt, you know. Uh, but uh, but I do agree with that when it, when it's a situation of somebody um, somebody that's about to make a, a a poor choice, you know. You can offer your opinion, uh, especially if it's somebody that somebody that you really care about that you genuinely want to walk closely with the Lord you can express love to them uh, in offering your opinion about the decisions that they're going to make but what's easy for me to do and and hard for me to remember is sometimes I'll try to implement Christian living on people who are not Christian you know um People will ask me a question about something going on in the world today, and they'll, and they'll say, well, well, what's your opinion about this? And it's easy for me to say, well, the Bible says this. And they'll look at you like, I don't care what the Bible says. But they did ask. But they want to know what your opinion is. And if my, if my knee-jerk is reaction, in reaction is, the Bible says this, and all of you should listen to it, it's not loving. You know? Um, Right, right. And and so last week we mentioned you, you guys were talking about a conversation that you had, and you said, wow, it was a long conversation. You know what? That's true. Anytime we want to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know the gospel or doesn't believe it, it's going to be a lengthy conversation, and we have to be ready to take the time to do that or at least schedule the time and say, you know what? I'd really like to talk more about this with you. Can we get together um, and do this? So yeah, you were going to say something, Tina? I think I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and I think there's some, there's some, uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's what I was getting at. So sometimes, sometimes there's a little bit of, uh, you know, di- um, discernment there, you know, because that's been the case where the same person has asked me over a period of time about this situation, about this situation, about this. And every time, if I answer every time, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, pretty soon they're either going to say, I don't care what the Bible says and stop asking. So, yeah. No, what I'm supposed to do is be willing to in- investigate it with them so that they understand why I say the Bible says this. And so to, 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 to be on the receiving end of that, I have to look at it and say, does it sound loving? Do I sound like I genuinely care about what they're, what they're questioning and what they're asking? Or do I sound like I'm just being like a... Uh, like a dictator or a king or a judgmental person saying, yeah, the Bible says this, you know. Um, and so I think Jim describes it. Hear what you're saying before you say it. And I'm not very good at that yet. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's true. It always sounds better in my head. Uh, because in my head, you always answer this way. Wow, you know, I'd love to know Jesus. <laughs> but, uh so yeah, um, I think that's important. It's it's not that you're you're diminishing the message at all, but making sure first that they genuinely know that we that you care about them. And so I, I heard somebody this week. I was having a conversation. They said, "Well, uh, this leader in this church they came to me and said, if you're a Christian, you need to be doing this.'" And I said, "Well, I agree with what was said, but I don't agree with how it was presented." You know, and and I think that there's a possibility, you know, I don't know if this person is saved. I, d- I don't know if they are. Uh, they are or they aren't. Um, but what I do know is now there's friction between those two people because they want to just take the truth and throw it at them and say, if you do this, everything's going to be fine. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, so anyway. Right, with grace, with love, truth and love, yes. Um, there's in the Bible as well that um, told Israel that Peter uh, persecuted to convert him for his wife. But convert him for his wife? Well, he brought up his wife as the one who seemed to know about him, but in fact he, he ended up being uh, converted. I don't know about that, but I do know the one... Peter is on the roof of the house waiting for a meal to be made and he, he falls into a trance and he sees a, a sheet come down and there's all of these animals on it. Well, at that time, there's a man, uh, a, a centurion, a Roman centurion is at home and he sees this vision in a, in a mirror, I think it is, and he says, send for Peter and he says, he'll come and he'll tell you all about Christ. So the Short story is, is this man sends two servants to go get Peter at this house. And, and an angel of the Lord comes down and tells Peter, hey, there's two men outside waiting for you. Go with them. So he goes back to, is it Joppa that they travel back to? Or he's in Joppa? He's in Joppa. Okay. So anyway, he goes with these two guys and, G- and Peter shares the gospel with them. 
And they all receive the Holy Spirit. They all begin speaking in tongues. And Peter, even though Peter already knows this, he's like, wow. Okay, so Gentiles can be saved and they can't. And so Peter is just reaffirmed something that he's already viewed in the first place because back in Acts chapter 2 when he gives that message, he sees Jews and Gentiles alike come to Christ. And so he's, now he's reaffirmed that in, this, in that particular story. The Philippian jailer? Yeah, that's that's Paul. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't I'm not saying there isn't, but I don't know if there's any scripture to that, but it also it, it's also a possibility that that story could have been taken like from the book of Josephus, uh, which is a first century historian, you know. And so there was there was uh, um, they implemented that story in the movie. Um, so that's that's gives us a caution so that when you do watch movies like that, look into the scripture to make sure that it's there. Um, and that doesn't mean that it didn't happen that way. What it does mean is that God didn't see that it was crucial to be included as, as Scripture. Um, so I don't remember a story like that, but that's not saying it didn't happen. So I've, I've watched some uh, movies. Oh, okay. And he's telling the story of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched a, a movie similar to that before as well. Peter's in there and he's explaining to... The jailers are bringing him food and stuff like that. And, yeah. and there's one guy, he sits in there and he's like, he, he's, he listens and then pretty soon he's in the jail with him listening to him talk and Peter's telling him about his life, you know. And, and so Peter's about ready to be executed, I think, in that. Yeah, so um, anyway, in, uh, in verse 12, Paul's primary motive in writing the letter um, is to benefit the Corinthian people uh, and so in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, he actually states that, if you just go back a few pages to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, he says, I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who have made me rejoice, who should have made me rejoice, thank you. I had confidence in all of you that you would share my joy. Uh, and that's his, that's his goal, that's his motive for writing the letter. His highest concern was the spiritual well-being of the entire body, which Paul realized was bound up with the acceptance of the message of him 
the message about Jesus Christ and also uh, as Paul, in Paul as an apostle. And so when Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. It's the same goal with Peter. Uh, Jesus is telling Peter, equip my people with everything that they need to live a godly life. And Peter says that. I believe it's in 1 Peter. He says, God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. And so um, that's what he's telling Peter to do. And, and Paul is saying the same thing uh, in this passage as well to, to, to imitate everything that I do so that you can have a godly life. And so um, if we look at Galatians 1, Paul is writing that his, promise, that his primary concern is not about disciplining the offender or making the situation better for the offended. Paul gives us Galatians 1 to help us understand that if you recognize that Paul is going off, uh, off topic a little bit, stop listening to him. And uh, I don't know that I'm going to read through the whole thing, but we'll read through at least verse 10 um, to begin with. He says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and the brothers and sisters with me. So he defines apostleship right there as he calls himself an apostle to the churches in Galatia grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the pre present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And now I'm trying, am I trying to win? Am I now, sorry, trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So what he's saying here is if he does preach another gospel other than what he had received from Jesus Christ, he would not be a servant of Christ. He would be lost. And what he describes in this passage is really, literally something that is impossible. So if an angel from heaven preached another gospel, what would that angel from heaven be? Say that again? It would be demons. Can we be fooled by demonic Yes. Yeah. He describes Satan as an angel of light. Um, and so Paul's writing 
um, in 2 Corinthians, his number one concern is that they understand the truth. It's not about the discipline when he, uh, when he mentions the next, in the next verse, verse 12, even though I wrote to you, it was neither on the account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the inquired, uh, injured party, but rather that before God, you could see yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged in verse 13. In addition, our own encouragement, we especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to you about him. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. Yes, thank you. Sorry, I got new glasses this week and I'm trying to read without taking them off. So I'm like kind of standing back. I'm trying to focus here. So thank you for the correction. If I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. So despite Paul's affirmed confidence in the Corinthians, Titus was likely hesitant to undertake the mission to Corinth. Um, I'm just going to wrap it up right here in just a second. I can't imagine that he didn't have some fear or anxiety, okay? Uh, Titus may have felt that he, he may have had this, this anxiety that proved to be without any ground when he actually got there. So the Corinthians' positive response to, Paul's, to Paul in his letter had been a great encouragement to him. And so Titus was elated at the reception that he received. They received him, it says in verse 15, with fear and trembling at the last part of verse 15. And this caused him to have a great, a very deep affection for them, Titus. This is who this is talking about. And so <clears throat> the part that sticks out in my mind when Paul says it's not about the, the offender or the one who was offended to help us understand that he's not just writing to those two, he's writing to the whole group. In verse 15, his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you are all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. So there was something in this passage, in this letter, for every person in the body. Even though there was just an event that happened, what appears to have happened between two people, everybody in the body of believers should have, in some way, got involved to make sure that there was repentance and to make sure that things were made right so that the body could function as it's designed to. And so, as we get into next week in chapters 8 through 13, He's going to address other circumstances, other things that have come up, and he's hoping for the same result. Um, and he's glad that he can have confidence in them. Thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you guys. Yeah.